be seated. Well, somebody asked me, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, why do you always dress up on Mother's Day, but you never dress up on, on Father's Day? And I'm like, and it was a guy. And I was like, first of all, there's a reason you have no friends. Um, because you would ask that question. I do dress up on Father's Day. This Father's Day, I'm wearing a cut-off flannel shirt and a backwards hat and work boots um, and jeans. Let me throw that in there. Um, because, but, but I dress up for Mother's Day because mothers are special. And, and once again, there's always one guy, dad, you're special too. Not today you're not. It's just for moms. It's all about moms t- today. Uh, it feels weird to kind of stand up here this week and not go to the book of Ruth because we've been hanging out with Ruth for like five or six weeks. And I so enjoyed that series and I got so much feedback. Thank you for all of you that left a comment on our social media about that. It was a fun series to talk through. And um, I'm going to tell you today, if this is your first time at Second Chance, Today's not really going to be a sermon. Um, I, I preached during the Ruth series. Like, I preached. They were sermons. Today, it's more of a talk. If you want a sermon, you should come back next week or, you know, the week after. There'll be some great sermons. But today is, is more of a talk about moms and some things that, that I personally learned from my mother. And let me, let me set it up like this. I love to to look at lists, like top 10, whatever, top 10 places to go, top 10 cities to visit, top fastest growing states in the United States. And so this week I spent some time on Google, which sometimes can be good and sometimes can be bad. And I Googled toughest jobs to work. I just put that in Google and hit, you know, whatever. Um, found some interesting, I found uh, air traffic controller is a tough job. And I agree there, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd be in there for like five minutes and I would be looking at the screen. I'd be like, you know what? Y'all figure it out. Y'all are grown adults. I'm going to go have some fun. Y'all just be nice, right? Um, There was a, oh, Alaskan crab fisherman was on the list. And I thought, well, you know, you chose that job, but I'm guessing it's tough. I don't know. I've never been to Alaska and I don't like crab legs. So I'm just not in that, but it, it sounds like a tough job. Uh, truck driver was listed as a tough job, and I would say that is a tough job because you've got to deal with idiots on the road. Uh, but nowhere on any list did I find mother. And I'm going to go ahead and say that, that as much as I can understand, mother is probably the toughest job in the world. And once again, dad's a pushback and go, what about the, no, listen, dad, she had to carry the baby. Okay. You made a contribution. <laughs> she carried the investment. You know what I'm saying? And, it's, uh, and if you need somebody to unpack that, ask your parents after the service. They'll, they'd love to talk to you about that. But, but she carried the baby. And I've, I've met women that said, I, just, a very, just a very few, that I just loved being pregnant. Um, and I've had other women say, no, she didn't. She's lying right now. Because you have a human bouncing on your kidneys, right, trying to get out. And, and there's so many things to learn through being a mom uh, that, that, that what God is teaching you can overflow and you can, it definitely has an impact on your children. I can't even imagine the pressure that mothers are under today with social media and everything. Like, like other mothers are posting their perfect family picture. And you understand it took four hours 
to get that family photo, right? They, they don't have that Instagram fam where they just, everybody smile. You can't, get, you can't get your kids clean. You got one kid throwing the other kid in the dryer. You got one kid that can't ever find his clothes. You got one kid that don't want to wear clothes. I mean, it's just, and, and then you got the husband. We want to talk about that. But it's just, it has to be tough being a mother. I can't even imagine the pressure that, that's associated with, especially in social media world. Um, and, and, and mothers really do wonder, because I've, I've had dozens of conversations about this, am I doing a good job? Because you don't know. Like your kids, sometimes, can't your kids make you feel like you're doing the best job in the world, and within 30 seconds, you're like, I have failed! Like your kids can take you there. And, and then you hear stupid quotes. Like I heard this quote the other day, somebody meant for it to be inspirational, but whoever quoted this for the very first time, the, whoever originated this quote should be hunted down and beaten. Okay. I'm just saying that just, I, do you believe in violence? Sometimes I do. Um, th- this was the quote. A mother is only as happy as her saddest child. That's, that's horrible. Why would you put that on a mom? Cause some of your kids are crazy. Like you have crazy kids. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to break it to you. You're not going to say it, but why would you put that on yourself? There's so many things and there's so many women today, um, either in the room or watching online wondering, I'm a mom. Am I being successful? Am, am I making a difference in the life of my child? And I'm here to tell you the answer is yes. Let me tell you how I can say that. The person that has influenced me the most in my life on this planet, the single most influential person in the world, number one, there's not even a close number two, was my mother. Now, I only knew my mother for 11 years. She passed away when she was 49 years old, the age that I am right now. But how I saw Jesus work in her and through her still has an impact on my life today a greater impact than anybody has ever had. And today, I hope that you'll receive some encouragement, but because this is what I feel like, whether you're a mother or you're not a mother, whether whether you're a woman or not, I think anybody is gonna receive some encouragement out of this message because years ago, I sat down and I made my own list of the top lessons I learned from my mother. And what I wanted to do with you today is just kind of share five things that really stood out that I really do think will will bless some people and encourage some people and maybe even challenge a few people. I know I was challenged as I went through this. So these are five lessons I learned from my mother. Here we go. Number one, don't quit. Don't quit. I learned that from my mom. Somebody asked me the other day, where do you, like, where do you get your resiliency? It's kind of like you're the thing that won't go away. Like, where, you keep bouncing back. Like, where do you get that from? Now, I know, let me put, push pause. I know there's somebody here and you're, you're super religious and I know the answer is Jesus, okay? And because the answer is always Jesus in church, no matter what the question is. What lives in the woods is furry, has a long tail, climbs trees and stores nuts for the winter. Okay, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm gonna go with Jesus, Bob. Like, like that, that's the answer for some people. And, and yes, the answer is Jesus, but it, The first person I saw that in was my mother. She had this 
don't quit attitude that impacts me to this day. And let me tell you, let me tell you how it all started. My, my mom and dad, like the way they met was not the way you're, it's not a church story. You know how people, oh, how'd y'all meet? We met at a Bible study and he was praying and I looked and there was an angel and there was a light around him and I looked up at her and she just kind of floated across the room and God spoke in an audible voice and said, marry her. And that's how we got together. I mean, those stories are great, but none of them are true, right? My mom and dad met in a bar. True story. My dad played in a band. My mom went to the bar, they met and hooked up the first night they met each other. Someone like, is that where you came from? No, I came along way later, way later, way later. In fact, my mom was my dad's third wife and my, my dad was my mom's second husband. When I was conceived in 1970, born in 1971, um, my mother and father, my mom was 38 when she got pregnant. She was not expecting me. I was what you call a Sunday afternoon nap baby. That's, that's how I came into the world. I was born into an unstable, unstable family environment. And when I say unstable, until I came along, my, my father was physically and um, emotionally abusive to my mother. Physical abuse stopped, but the emotional abuse didn't. And my mom, though, she was the rock of her family. She just wouldn't quit. She was like, I'm in this, and I'm going to make this work. Well, she was at her wit's end in about 1973, and she decided to do something that she hadn't done in years, and I'll explain why in just a little while. She decided, I'm going to go to church. So she took me, I was two years old. I don't remember this, but this is from my mom and my dad and some siblings. She would take me and, and she went to this little Baptist church in California. A little Baptist church close to our house. I still don't know why she went to the church, but she went to that. It was a Baptist church. And after about two or three weeks, and when you went to the church, you could sign up to get visited by the pastor and a deacon. Some of you are like, what is a deacon? Because it sounds a lot like demon. About the same thing. Anyway, so the pastor and the, and the demon deacon would come and visit you at your house. And so my mom requested a visit and they would visit on Tuesday nights. And so that Tuesday, my dad came home from work and poured a scotch. He always would come home, pour a glass of scotch and sit down and just watch the news. Um, and so he poured a glass of scotch and sat down and five minutes before the pastor and the, and the deacon were supposed to get there, my mom said, um, the pastor and, and, and the deacon coming by. And my dad, um, both of them told me this story. He cussed her out, strung together cuss words that were, I mean, till this day would cause you to be in awe. And said, uh, you're going to have hell to pay after this one. Poured his scotch out because <laughs> they were Baptists. You know, you can't have it. If it had been Presbyterians, he could have poured them one. But like, since it was Baptist, you had to get rid of it. And, uh, and my dad was very upset because it was very resistant to the whole God, church, Jesus, religious thing. But you know, it's so funny what God will do through somebody who will not quit. Because that's the night that my mother and my father gave their life to Jesus. The deacon and the, and the pastor, and I, I don't know their name. Till this day, I don't know their name. I know they led my mother and my father to Christ that night. 
And, and, and they got, my mom and my dad got in church. They got baptized, the whole nine yards. And then we moved from California, Los Angeles, California, to Easley, South Carolina. <laughs> Talk about culture shock, right? But I was four, so... So we moved back, we got, my mom and dad couldn't agree on a church. So my mom picked this one church and we went there on Sunday mornings. We went to, in fact, it was a Wesleyan church. And then on Sunday nights, my dad picked a church and it was independent Baptist. And what's an independent Baptist? They were basically charismatic without speaking in tongues. I mean, it, it, it got wild. People jumping pews, but they all spoke English. All right. So, so on, and I was confused because on Sunday morning in the Wesleyan church, I would hang out with the, with the frozen chosen and then on Sunday nights, I was with the happy clappies. And I, I couldn't figure out which, like, dude, like one morning I clapped at the frozen chosen church after a song. I was just like, <laughs> I, just, I was just kidding. Just, I was just, wow, look at him. I mean, it's just weird. And then um, one night at the, at the church where my dad wanted to go, the pastor, and I remember this, the pastor literally called my dad out from the stage called him a hypocrite from the stage and my dad just sat there and you, you ever see your dad turn like 18 shades of red and I, I was okay with it because I, I was usually the cause of it but I wasn't the cause of this and we got home and my dad called him it was preacher Jim my dad called preacher Jim and uh the the use of profanity was artistic I mean it was unreal <laughs> but he basically commuted to Preacher Jim where he could put the church and, and that he would never come back again. And he didn't. He never went back to that church. And my mom, though, that, that would have been an easy opportunity for my mom to drop out. Because it's hard enough to get up and get to church, right? Especially if you've got kids, especially if you've got a kid like me. I mean, I can't pay attention. But my mom got out of bed every Sunday and took me to church. We didn't miss every Sunday in church. My dad would be in bed. And now, not throwing him under the bus, he really did make a full circle and came back around. I saw it years later. But my mom took me to church every single Sunday. She did not quit. When it would have been easy to lay in bed and just give up because my dad wasn't being supportive, she literally would not quit. She, she, had a tough, she, she had some tough seasons. The marriage to my dad, they had to go through some tough seasons. But she was, she was the toughest woman, toughest person I've ever seen in my life. And it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul, who, who wrote most of the New Testament, in, in the book of Philippians, he, he's writing this from jail, and he's telling the people, he's telling the small church in Philippi, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I press on. In other words, Paul said, I'm not going to quit. And listen, Paul was the guy that when he went into town, everybody liked him. And two weeks later, everybody was trying to kill him. Paul was in jail and he would not quit. And the reason I say that is because I know there's some people in this room or watching online right now, you're going through an incredibly difficult time. I mean, this past week or this past month or maybe even this past year has been hell for you. And you've, you've been trying to figure out, why should I not just quit? Why should I not just give up? 
Why shouldn't I throw on the towel? I'm not sure that this Jesus thing or this church thing or this God thing is going to work for me. Give me a reason why I shouldn't quit. I want to share two things with you really quick before I move on to the next point. Number one, I've asked that exact same question. I feel your hurt and I feel your frustration. But I'll tell you what I told somebody that reached out to me last week on social media. It was somebody in another state that doesn't attend this church. And they walked me through their situation and how overwhelmed they were. And they said, give me one reason why I shouldn't just quit today. And I had my answer. Gave it to them just like this. And the reason I had my answer so quick is because somebody else gave me this answer when I asked that same question about three or four years ago. The answer was this. One day, you and I will stand in front of someone whose assignment was much tougher than ours. And he didn't quit, and he lives inside us, so neither should we. I just want to encourage somebody with that today. Don't quit. The second thing I learned from my mom is you invest in what you love. You do. You invest. Isn't that true? I mean, I, I, I have to, that's just true. You invest in what you love. Now, the education system when I was growing up was a little different than it is today. I grew up in the, I started going to school in 1977, 1976 in that ballpark. Some of you weren't born. Um, so the, it, like today you got options. When I was a kid, you had two options, public school and private school. Nobody homeschooled. No, I'm not making fun of it. I, my, my daughter is homeschooled. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just talking, if you homeschooled in the 70s, it's because you were a hyper-religious fanatic and you also had a bomb shelter and food rations and you were storing up because the Russians were going to nuke us all. That, that, that's the, okay, so some of you, I just described your parents and I'm sorry for the flashbacks I just caused. But my parents sent me to private school. I went to private school. Um, and now this is a true story. I'm not embellishing this. I don't make stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. At four years old, I was four. I got kicked out of the first Christian private school I ever attended. I've always excelled at getting kicked out of religious order. I mean, I, I can, I can get kicked out. Like if you want to get kicked out, go with me. I get us kicked out. I, I promise you. So they took me to the second private school and they're like, don't screw this up. Now, the, the, the private school they took me to, um, it, it was, I mean, they, they taught you the Bible every day. You had an hour of Bible class every day. I wasn't even a Christian, but I would, I would learn the Bible. I had no idea that one day I would be teaching it. But my mom is the one, she was the catalyst that made this possible. You see, the reason this is a big deal is because I lived on the Mill Hill in Eastley, South Carolina. I visited that home recently, um, and I, was, I, was, I just drove by it really, really fast. I was glad I had two guns in the car. I wish I'd have had four. Like, it, it, it's, it was sketch then. But, but my parents were, were blue-collar, lower-middle class. I mean, I know what it's like to go and, and stand in line with your parents for food stamps. My parents were poor. And private school cost money. And I didn't know that until one day I came out of the restroom when I was in like third grade and I noticed my mother in the hallway at the school and I automatically became terrified because the school, I'm not making this up, would literally call my mom to come to the school and spank me because theirs weren't effective. We're going to spank you. Okay, let's make sure we get that right cheek this week. It's just, I mean, that's, but when mama showed up, it's like, oh my God. 
So I saw her and, and automatically I'm like, oh my God, what I do, what I do, what I do. And, and so I, I just ran up to her and gave her a hug. I said, what are you doing here? She said, I'm here to pay for you to go to school. Pay? That didn't cross my mind. But they invested. My, my mother, my father worked first shift at a plant in Pickens and my mother worked second shift. They both worked. And they they made an investment because you invest in what you love. For example, Jacksonville Jaguars made an investment <laughs> in Trevor Lawrence, right? How many, watched the, how many of y'all watched the draft? Yeah, we knew he was going to go first, but like, what, so what was it, $25 million? $25 million? $25 million? I could live on that. I'd be all right. And there's always one. There's always, oh, that money ain't going to make you happy. I'd like to give it a shot. Be happier in your broke butt, all right? <laughs> but nobody in this room would disagree with the statement the Jacksonville Jaguars invested in Trevor Lawrence because we see it. It's, it's obvious that Trevor Lawrence is important to them because they invested that much money and he hasn't even thrown a pass in the NFL. Now, here's what's crazy. We'll, we'll, we'll marvel at the investment that the Jacksonville Jaguars made in Trevor, or will marvel in the investment that parents would make for their kids to go to private school. But then there are people in this room that while we'll nod our head without you, you, and I say you, and I put me in this category. So we, sometimes we question our worth. You know why we question our worth? Because we know what we did last summer. We know what we did last week. And we question, are we really worth anything to anyone? If you showed up with that question today, I'm so glad you're here. Because John tells us, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. With that being the case, Jesus, Jesus saw us as so valuable that he laid his life down on a cross. And how in the world could we stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross and say, I do not matter? Because Jesus would say back, yes, you do. I died for you. Third lesson I learned from my mom is forgive like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. This was like one, the one main lesson that stands out. My mom was a very forgiving person. But I never will forget the day that we lived at 6 Hamilton Street and my grandmother lived at 5 Hamilton Street. And my mother said, I need to run over to your grandmother's house. She said, and this is what she said, I'll be right back. I thought that meant she would be right back. But it meant something different to her because she was gone for, for 72 days. That's what it felt like as a kid. And I freaked out being by myself. And, and I was freaking out. And so she finally showed up back at the house. And I was like, and I think I was like five or six years old. You know, when you're five or six, you know, you're smart. You know everything. And I can remember this thought ran through my mind. I'll teach her a lesson. And she will never do this again. So when he came in and she leaned down, the first words out of my mouth, please, please just, I'm getting real. I'm telling you all what happened. 
I said to her, you bitch. Do you know that I've never called a woman that again till this day? I've never called a woman that out loud. Um, like I, 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 just being real, keeping it real. And then after my term of endearment, I open hand slapped my mother who was 100% redneck. I've never seen a face contort like her face contorted. You know how you've blacked out certain memories in your mind because they're so traumatic? I literally can't remember the, ne- the following five minutes. I can remember trying to talk. You remember because your parents, I don't know if you're a parent, you've done this with your kid. It's like, be quiet. And they're like, shut up before I give you something to cry about. So after that happened, she's like, are you okay? And you know, we're kind of like, I said, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna tell that, you're gonna tell that, you're gonna tell that. And she's like, no, I'm not. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are. I mean, <laughs> she said, I'm not gonna tell your dad. He don't need to know. And I thought, I mean, okay, whatever. So, so about five years before my father passed away, my mother passed away. Um, when I was 11, but a few years before my father passed away, he had Alzheimer's, but on this particular day, he was in his right mind. We're having a great conversation, and we, I said something about that particular incident. He said, you called your mom what? And I repeated it, and he said, and then you did what? I said, Dad, pl- stop playing. I said, she told you. He's like, Perry, I promise you, your mother never told me about that incident. She forgave me. She told me. She said, I, she said, you messed up. She acknowledged it. She said, but I forgive you. And I've, I've never forgotten that because it, that, that modeled to me how Jesus forgives us. Isn't it funny how most of us wrestle with forgiveness? Like there are people in this room, you'll say a cuss word and you know as soon as you said it, God heard you. You'll whisper a prayer of forgiveness and question whether or not God's listening to you. How messed up is that? We know he hears us cuss. We question if he hears us pray for forgiveness. There's a guy named Peter, and we're going to talk about him in the month of June. You're going to love the series on Peter, because if you think you're messed up, you're going to feel so much better about yourself after we talk about Peter. But Jesus approaches him and, and gives him an invitation. Follow me. He doesn't tell him, you know, quit what you're doing, become a better person. He says, hey, no, follow me. In fact, that's the, that's the invitation Jesus has for us. He said, you don't even have to, Jesus didn't even say, believe in me. He said, follow me. Because Jesus knew if Peter just in, accepted the invitation, it was going to change him. So Peter's following Jesus and he sees that Jesus has this forgiveness thing down. So one day Peter asked him a question. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I mean, the Pharisees said three, so I'm going to go seven. I mean, but this guy is getting on my nerves and I have to keep forgiving him. Do I have to forgive him? And Jesus said, 
I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or some translations say 70 times seven. Now, for the type A person, you're like, okay, I'm going to get my clipboard, and I got a pen, and it's one, that's two, that's three, you're getting closed. We're at 62 right now. If you, we get that, and I don't have to, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, continually forgive people. Listen, because that's the way he's forgiven us. Like the message could be, hey, forgive like Jesus. And that's, that's strong and we could go out and try to forgive people. But it, it gets a little bit deeper when we go, you know what? I'm going to forgive people like Jesus has forgiven me. Let me tell you where this practically plays out. I haven't, I've never shared this story. A few years ago when I was not in church work, I walked into a bar slash restaurant. There weren't that many people in it. And sitting at the end of the bar, I recognized the guy. He didn't recognize me. He didn't have time to see me, but I saw him. It was the man that molested me when I was a child, the first one. I wasn't in church work. And I can't even begin to tell you the, the rage and the anger that automatically filled me. And every, I'm telling you, just being honest, every ounce of me wanted to use his head for a mop and his butt for a broom. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I could have done it. I could have handled him with no problem. But the thing about being a Christian is that pesky Holy Spirit steps into those moments and just kind of whispers that, you know, you need to forgive him like Jesus forgave you. And in that moment, when I'm angry and when I'm hurt and when I'm mad and when I can't have the opportunity to do something about it, I had to choose to forgive and just move. Now, it would have been what somebody like, did you go talk to him? No, no, I didn't. I, I, it'd be a wonderful church story if I went and led him to Christ and he started a ministry. None of that happened. But in that moment, it was through that experience with my mother that first put that seed in my heart to forget. Listen, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, we got to forgive because that's what Jesus does. Number three, the third lesson I learned from, oh, I'm sorry, number four lesson I learned from my mother is, is don't be fake. Don't be fake. Now, the reason I learned this is, goes all the way back to my papa. My papa, her dad was named Perry. That's who I'm named after. He was six foot seven. He had white hair. Like, I've seen pictures of him. Looked like Billy Graham. And um, him and my grandma, so he's six foot seven. My grandma was like five foot two. Um, and they had 10 kids and a house that had two bedrooms. I hadn't figured that out. And honestly, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. But he was just, I mean, I've met him. I don't remember him that, that well. But my mom does. And when my mom was telling me when she was really young, my papa was sitting on the front porch smoking a pipe. 
Now, I don't know if you enjoy pipes or not. I've got a pipe. Um, a friend of mine who watches every week online sent me a pipe. Thank you so much for the pipe. I've never, I've never smoked it. Are you think smoking's wrong? No, I can't get it lit. I don't know how to light the stupid thing. I've done YouTube things. I've looked it up and started, I can't get the stupid thing lit. So I just have a pipe and it looks cool. So anyway, but my papa was smoking a pipe and he's just sitting out there chilling. And he was a deacon in, in, in a church that they attended, a Baptist church that they attended. He was a deacon in the church. And back in that day, in fact, when I was growing up, some of you remember this, people used to just swing by your house and they wouldn't even call. They'd just come by, right? And that's not the way it is today. Like, if you come by my house and you hadn't called, I ain't answering the door. I don't know you anything. You just stand out there and knock, look stupid, chance to run around, look crazy. I mean, so anyway, he had a couple friends from the church swing by his house that were also deacons. And they called him smoking the pipe. He didn't tell them at church he smoked the pipe. He hid it. Thought he was safe in the corner of his front porch just smoking his pipe and his two deacon friends showed up and busted him. He got kicked off the deacon board. And they had to vote whether or not to kick the family out of the church. That impacted my mom so much. She walked away. Took her years to come back. And when she came back, when she would take me to church every Sunday morning, she took me to church smoking. And when I say smoking, she wasn't driving fast. I'm talking about she smoked like a chimney. I've never seen somebody smoke like my mama could smoke. I mean, she could burn them down. She was ambidextrous. She could go with both hands. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> and, and she didn't try to hide it. Like, we would be pulling up in the church parking lot and she's burning that light she's getting that last drag off of that cigarette and by the time we opened up the car door it looked like that scene from fast times at ridgemont high where the like the pot smoke was just she wasn't smoking pot but it was just like pouring out and i walked around like pig pen off of peanuts that's how i smelled i mean but i didn't know And so one day I asked my mom this question as we were pulling up into the church and she was smoking her third of the morning and just, I mean, she had burned this thing down to the very end. And I said, Mama, um, you know, you could be a leader because they approached her about leadership positions in the church several times. I said, you could be a leader if you just didn't smoke. And I'm not saying don't smoke. I'm just saying don't smoke in the church parking lot. I mean, I mean, because you could at least pretend that you don't smoke. And she looked at me, I know what she is. She said, I'm not going to be fake. She said, I'm not proud of the fact I, I do this. In fact, I saw her fight to quit as hard as I've seen anybody fight to quit. She said, but Perry, one thing I will not be is I will not be fake. She said, where I'm strong, I'm not afraid to admit where I'm strong. And where I struggle, I'm not afraid to admit where I struggle. And you got to love me in my strength, and you got to love me in my struggle. I've never forgotten that. I've also never forgotten why could they, why could, she couldn't serve, but she smoked. But the ladies that served with her gossiped, and I just didn't understand. I still don't understand. But anyway, the, the, the verse that really like brought this home for me one day when I was reading it, as Isaiah 29, 13, where it says, the Lord says, these people came near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Let's say this, this chair represents Jesus. And this was my mother. Her heart was postured 
towards Jesus. But she struggled. And the reason I say that is there are people in this room that you struggle, but your heart really is postured toward Jesus and you know you struggle. The fact that you struggle doesn't mean that your heart isn't postured toward Jesus. In fact, I don't think your heart is truly postured towards Jesus until you can finally admit, I struggle. I'm messed up. I fall down because I know people that dot all the I's and cross all the T's on the outside, but their heart is positioned far from Jesus because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing all the things on the Christian checklist to make God indebted to them. God, I did all this stuff, and so now you owe me. I'm just telling you, if you're here today and you struggle, it just means that you're human. Keep fighting, keep fighting through, but don't, listen, especially in this church, don't be fake. Don't be fake. That never helped anybody. Last thing that my mother taught me is Jesus is for you and will never abandon you. Now, the way I learned this lesson is a way that I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget. 1982 started out as a great year. Once again, some of you weren't here, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. It was awesome. We didn't have 24-hour news networks to freak us out. In fact, January 1st, 1982, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I know exactly what I was doing. I was swimming because I was in Miami, Florida. I was down there for the Orange Bowl. It was the first national championship that Clemson won in football. It would be the first of a few that we've won. Now, if you're a South Carolina fan, you can't relate to that. <laughs> but that's okay. We're glad you're here. Just telling y'all. It was a good year. I mean, it, I, mean I, we, I, was, I, was, uh, I played football for the first time that fall, and so I was really interested in football. And then that summer, me and my dad and my mom took a trip across the country. Why did I say trip across the country? We didn't fly. No, no, no. My dad had to drive from Easley to Los Angeles. Yeah, no Game Boys, no electronics, no anything. Just me in the back seat going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? Don't ask again. So, so on the way back from that trip that summer, my mom got sick, and which was weird because my mom never got sick. She was just that woman that never got sick. And so she got sick, and, and when we got home, she got a little bit sicker. And so we finally decided, when I say we, they finally decided, she said, I'm going to go to the doctor. And she went to the doctor, and they put her in for these tests. And you got to, I mean, 1982, we didn't have as much technology as we've got today. So they said they diagnosed her with gallbladder, like gallstones. And they said, we're going to go in and do a basic surgery and remove the gallstones. So I remember that morning I got up, got dressed for school. And my mom was in the li um, living room. She sitting in her chair and she gave me a hug. And she told me she loved me. And um, I went to school because my dad was going to take her for the surgery. And I rode the bus home. And when I got on the bus or when I got off the bus and was walking up my driveway, there were 15 cars in my driveway. And I recognized all of them. And I was like, this is not what I was expecting. And I walked in to the house and my dad was in there with all like my mom's sisters and my grandmother, like everybody. And they were waiting on me to get home. And my dad told me, he said, you need to sit down. I sat down and he said, he said um, he said, they did the surgery today, 
And when they opened up your mom, she's, she's covered in cancer. And they said she won't make it to Christmas. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. But there was nothing but anger. I can remember running out of the house, yelling, yelling some very direct things at God, pounding the ground with my fist. I just, my uncle came and got me and brought me back in, and we had to go to the hospital. And all the way over the hospital, I'm nervous, because what do you say to a woman who has just been told she's going to die at 49? Now, here's what was weird. When you're 11 years old, 49, because people would say, oh, your mother was so young. I'm like, no, she wasn't. She's 49. Because <laughs> when you're 11, remember that when you're 11, 49 is ancient. But now, I'm 49. She's pretty young, right? <laughs> so what do, you say, what do you say to somebody who, who is not going to make, like, well, what do you say? I can remember, I remember it so clearly, walking into the hospital and my mother is laying on the bed, and they got the IVs in her and the hospital gown. And she looked over at me, and she smiled, and she was like, come here. And I went over to a hospital bed, and I crawled up in the bed with her. And she held me. She said, she said you're going to be fine. You know you're going to be fine, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, this, is, this, this isn't how it's supposed to work. Like, I'm supposed to encourage you. But she encouraged me. You know, for the next three months, she, she lived for three more months. I never saw her get angry. I never saw her get bitter. I never saw her get mad. I saw this peace in her that at the time I, I didn't understand. And in that season where cancer was literally taking her life, she always talked about how good Jesus was to her. That's all I heard from her. The night she passed away, my aunt tells me this story because she was in the room. She was fighting to breathe. My aunt's standing there holding her hand and said, right as she's getting ready, like it looked like she's getting ready to pass, all of a sudden her eyes opened, said her face, like everything was normal. But her eyes were wide open. She asked my aunt, she said, do you see him? My aunt said, who? And my mama said, Jesus, do you see him? My aunt said, no, I don't, I don't see him. Helen, what does he look like? And my mama said, he's beautiful. She closed her eyes, stepped into eternity. The reason I remember that is because that was her darkest moment on the planet and Jesus met her there. So if you are in a dark season right now and you feel like the world's closing in on you, open your eyes because you're about to see him in a way that you've never seen him before. Where did that come from? Where did, where did that come from? How does somebody go through that and and? Share Jesus in the middle of their struggles. It's what Paul said in Philippians, once again, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in 
every situation. That includes any situation that we're in today. In every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Oh, man, I saw the peace of God in my mom. I saw the peace of God. And you know what I've learned through that situation, through my own situation, through watching hundreds of other people struggle through situations, is you can, you can take any, you can take my money, you can take my home, you can take my job, you can take my friends, you can take my material things, but you can't take my peace because my peace comes from a foundation that's not of this world. My peace is established on the fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and you can't have my peace because it's not for sale. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding. You've seen it before. People go through trials that, should, that would kill a normal person, but they're still standing. You, where, how do you do that? Where does that come from? It's the peace of God that you can't even understand. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise from God's word. I'm just here to say that God taught me that story then and it still resonates with me today. No matter what you're going through, the darker it gets, the more visible Jesus will be. So hang on, don't quit, keep forgiving, keep pressing on, don't be fake and look around because he has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He is with you, he is for you, and his plans for you are greater than anything you could ever imagine. With that in mind, can we stand for closing prayer? Father, I wanna thank you, Jesus, right now for your goodness and your greatness to us. Father, I wanna thank you that you are with us, that you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us, even for those of us who may be in the valley, in the darkness, in a storm, God, in a season where we feel like we're all alone, God, may we know that your favor is with us, that you are for us, that you have greater plans in our lives, and may we celebrate that in you. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. Jesus, I want to thank you for the fact that you are with us and that you are for us. And I pray for every single person in this room right now that feels like they're struggling in a storm, God, that you would remind them that they matter, that you see them as valuable, worth, worthy, God. Father, I pray for the person in the middle of the storm, that God, that you would speak to their hearts right now and give them a peace, God, that passes all understanding. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what the Lord said to your heart, but take just a second and speak back to his. If he spoke to you in the message, just speak back to him. God, help me to be more real. Help me to not be fake. Help me to forgive. Help me to not quit. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You never asked Jesus to come in your life. And that needs to be your prayer today. If that's you and you're in this room or you're watching online, then right where you stand right now, I want you to pray this in your heart. Just just pray this in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to save me from my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. 
In Jesus' name I pray. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just prayed to receive Christ, do me a favor right now and put your hand up in the air and leave it up really high because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. If you're online, you can do a hand raise. I want to pray with you and for you. Father, I want to thank you so much, Jesus, that you save people. I want to thank you so much, Jesus, for changing lives. Father, I want to thank you so much for a mother who demonstrated what it looked like to follow you even when it wasn't easy. May we walk out of this room today knowing, God, that we've experienced your presence and experiencing your presence brings about a change in us that eventually no one can deny. Even we can't deny it. Jesus, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your plans for us are greater. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, everybody that agreed said, amen. Are you glad you came to church on this Mother's Day? I'm super glad. I hope y'all have a phenomenal week. See y'all next Sunday.